Everybody, welcome to the 24th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live from Rip City, and I got my man Sage chilling. Rough weekend. I'm glad to be talking sports. And we've got uh, a familiar guest with us. We have a uh, Larry, aka TB Pup 22. Larry, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hey, great to be with you guys. So our Blazers continue to, I don't know, shock. The rest of the NBA, everyone says at the beginning of the month, oh, they were just feasting on a long homestand against the cellar dwellers. Then it was, okay, they got lucky. They still got an upcoming road trip to handle. Well, they kicked off their road trip with uh, two phenomenal wins back-to-back. This team right now, 32-28, and 28, tied for sixth in the West with... 22 games to go. I don't know about you. I felt like I was being extremely optimistic predicting 37 victories in the preseason. But they might just completely obliterate that record. Which is a beautiful thing, man. It's surprising how well they played as a team. And I think team is the key word there. You look on paper and, yes, you have one of the best backcourts in the NBA but everybody else is just filling their role. And when you've got a bench that's playing at such a high level, you're getting production out of nine or 10 guys and you're playing with the chemistry and everybody understands and accepts their role. You're going to beat more talented teams more times than not. Uh, Larry, what have you thought so far of this team? I know they've greatly surpassed your expectations uh, so far as well. Oh, they have by far. They've probably... They probably surpassed anybody who had realistic expectations for them. I mean, some people think they're going to win every game every year, but any anyone who was like being somewhat realistic and a little bit of homer, we lo- we love our team. No one saw this. Vegas gets paid to do this. They weren't even close. I thought they'd win a little more than Vegas had them, but not certainly not to this extent by far. I mean, they they've blown past that. You know, there's, there's every little bit you talked about, you know, some home cooking, which they didn't play great teams, but they, they won. Um, and that's, that's something they weren't doing earlier in the season. Then they won a couple, uh, they won a couple road games and those two games they, when they beat, uh, Houston and Memphis. And, you know, some people like, well, Houston's turned into a malfunctioning, Circus and Memphis, that's the game they lost Gasol. Well, yes, but injuries are part of the NBA. That's just, that's part of it. They come home, they have another good home stretch. Obviously, that Houston loss was, you know, something you don't want to see. But I think, I think they've, they've learned something from that. Dame's talked about that, you know, in some articles with Quick and in some other things where, They've taken some of these things. They've learned from them. They're they they are young, but they're trying to apply this to. All right, the next time we run into this, how 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 are we going to come through it? And, and whether they're playing, you know, good teams like I thought I thought Indiana was a good team or a decimated team like Chicago who just had no one. 
And, you know, they're, they're just coming out and putting up win, win after win after win. And I thought that this road trip, if they went three and three, would be pretty good. Now, if they went three and three, I think we'd all be pretty disappointed. Yeah, you talk about win, win, win. The Trailblazers are 17 and four over their last 21 games. That's home court advantage type of stuff right there, uh, including five straight on the road. You mentioned the, the six game road trip. Most recently, they, pretty much manhandled the Pacers in that fourth quarter. The final score wasn't as indicative as how much Portland controlled that game over the final 12 minutes. It was a, a 111-102 Trailblazers victory. And I thought Damian Lillard really set the tone early. He led a 15-2 Trailblazers run, put up 20 points on over 70% shooting in that, that first quarter, really blew the game open and gave Portland that 8-10 to 10 point cushion that they took Throughout the whole game, you know, he ends with 33, uh, five rebounds, two assists. That's the seventh time in the last eight games he's gone for 30 plus. When you have a player who's playing at a superstar level, you feel really good going into anybody's gym on any, but on any given night that you're going to come out with a victory because you know he's going to put up big numbers. And then Dame does it first quarter, but then you've got Myers Leonard who goes on a personal 11-0 run over the like two minute span and that really you know opened the floodgates so this team is not just winning with dame they're not just winning with the bench they're finding a different multitude of ways to to win over the course it's it's almost like every night they're winning a different way and that's beautiful basketball to me definitely I, I, you mentioned the word team in that pacers game everybody contributed in their unique ways to get that victory myers has had a good five-minute spurt where he was our entire offense. I remember Gerald Henderson hit in a a ridiculous percentage. And then Alfredo Camino playing fantastic defense on Paul George. It was just a team win. It was the perfect definition of a team win. Yeah, you talk about Hendo, man. He started out six for six, maybe eight for eight. I think he might have missed his last shot, but he goes 19 points, eight of nine field goals in 22 minutes off the bench. He has just been a sniper for mid-range. Teams should not give him any space because he's not even hesitating. And to be quite honest, he's playing better than Nicholas Batum did last year. You, you throw in the fact that we got a starting 20 year old power forward and Noah Von Ley in the deal. That's looking like a straight up fleece right now from Neil Olshay. Did you know he had those springs? Like the, the, the hops that he did? I did know, I did know he had it because he had a couple of poster dunks, especially when he was, he, when they were the Bobcats. I think he got Andrew Bynum pretty good at Staples Center a year or two ago. So I knew he had some springs. And now that his hip is finally healthy, boy, is he getting up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he's definitely got some hops. Well, both players that they got in that trade, Noah Vonley has gotten up a couple of times on some throwdowns. Um, and every game, he still does something that you're like, okay, this guy's got some skill. And then he doesn't do it again for the rest of the game or doesn't get the opportunity. He doesn't get many shots. You know, I, Myers, you guys talked about both Myers and, and Hendo and, and man, Myers went nuts. The one thing I didn't like about that is Myers is going crazy. And all of a sudden we run up against a stot scheduled substitution and out comes Myers. It's like, you just pulled a guy that is so ridiculously hot, needs some, needs some confidence. Maybe he hasn't been playing a lot lately, but it was time for a substitution. So out he came. And I, if there's, there's a, 
Stotts has done a great job, but there's a couple of things. That and refusal to double team someone like Harden when he's going nuts or refusal to put Al Farouk Aminu on him one time the entire game. That, that also, you know, you, I think you can at least question that and not be called a hater. Or Brooke yeah. Lopez, the double teaming of Brooke Lopez. Like, or the lack of rotations yep. on doubles. I'm starting to wonder if Stotts would have double teamed Wilt Chamberlain the night he scored 100 points. No, you know, because our rotations aren't good. You guys <laughs> all all make good points. The only thing I could think of is maybe Myers was tired. He was running probably on adrenaline. He hasn't played a huge stretch of minutes in, in quite some time. That's the only thing I could think of. I probably would have kept him out there until he started missing shots. He was that hot. He was playing in front of his hometown uh, crowd. They're only two hours away from Robinson, Illinois. I think he said he had like a 50-person suite and then like an extra 150 to 200 in the stands. Practically uh, a pseudo home game for the Trailblazers. And he didn't disappoint. 17 points on 6 of 8 shooting, th- 4 of 5 from deep. He was a plus 16 in 20 minutes. And I think that three-pointer off of the, off of the Ed Davis assist to end the third quarter, really for me, I, I was like, okay, th- this is our game now. Mm-hmm. Indiana made a run. They cut it to three or four, and you kind of got a little bit nervous. But that play happened. It boosted the lead, I think, up to 10 going into the fourth quarter, and it was all over from there. Uh, that capped a 9-2 and two record for the Trailblazers in February, and just a fantastic win off of a back-to-back. The the previous night before, uh, it was Saturday, Portland really gutted out a 103-95 victory in Chicago. Again, it was the man, the myth, the legend, Damian Lillard, who who led the charge for Portland. Uh, he scored 15 points in the first quarter. He kept us afloat. What else is new? 31 for the game. And he's, he, you know, he's doing other things than scoring. He's dishing it out four times, four boards. But what I loved most was he got to the free throw line. Portland won that game without either he or McCollum hitting a three. In fact, McCollum was one for 12, yet Portland still did damage against Chicago. Yes, it was a depleted Bulls team, but when you find a way to get to the line, their teams are going to take away that jumper. They know what he can do. They've seen tape. That's going to be the next step in his progression into just an out-of-this-world player. Yeah, if there, if there's one thing, I mean, he has been he has been scoring a ton. Um, he hasn't been real efficient. You know, he's still in that low to mid forties. I think uh, I saw a stat in his last five games or seven games or something. He's shooting forty four percent from the field. Now, over that time, he was average averaging thirty points. But that's not a, that's not a great efficiency. I mean, that's, I think, where his next step is, is to, if he's going to get 30 points, like last night, he started out, what, seven of eight? Um, he finished three for 11 after that or something like that. So he, and I know he deferred once he came back, he scored 20 in the first, kind of deferred to CJ to get him going. And that's great. Um, and then was just really off the whole rest of the game. So I'd, I'd like to see that be a little more consistent because when he's hot, there's no one in the game, well, maybe Steph, but that's it. That when, when he gets rolling, he is on fire, but he will also go through some long stretches where it's, it's pretty bleak and his, I mean, his, his numbers over the year reflect that. But how great is he if that's one of the only knocks we're saying is, 
yeah, he's getting 30 plus and he's trying to get his teammates involved, but all he really needs to do is be a little bit more efficient. To me, that just shows you how much of a freak he is playing right oh, now. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's, it's not a, it's not a Dame is bad. It's just like, that's, that's, think how good he's going to be when, when that gets better, which I all, I think all of us believe that it, that it will. Is that what you would suggest to him in the offseason to improve on just as efficiency on the offensive game? Yes, because there's when he's when he's in a rhythm and he can pull up and take just about any shot he wants. Mm. But sometimes he'll take that same shot when he's not in rhythm just to try and get himself going. And it's it just doesn't go in very often. Sometimes he'll just pull up from 27, 28 feet. Just stay, just pull one to see, Hey, can I get it to go in? It's not a great shot. And usually when he's doing that, that's where he's in the stretch of his lull. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he's doing that, and he's on fire. He can be leaning. He can be getting fouled. It almost doesn't matter, but I'd like to see him take it to the basket more, draw some contact, get going that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just because, you know, there, there are times he'll start jacking up some pretty long shots out of rhythm, plenty of shot clock left when he's not hot and they just, they don't go down. He's, he's a rhythm player most of the time, you would, it seems like. And I think Dame really is going to the line more often. In February, he got to the cup 8.2 times per, per night. That's up from five in January. So I think he's definitely taking notice that teams are playing him so tight on the perimeter and that he can't just, settle for that that deep three so i would say just get stronger because you're going to keep taking hits as you go to the free throw line more often i want him to start probing on offense like chris paul or steve nash because if you're under the basket and someone messes up that's easy points so i see cj probing around the basket sometimes and it leads to some good things because and i mean it, it it's like a three second go under the rim see if you can do anything and then you reset the offense. I think Dame probing on offense a little more would be a really nice tool to add in his belt this uh, offseason. So back to that that Chicago game. How about Ed Davis? I mean, what a monster night from arguably the best backup big in the business if you're going by the stats. Finishes with nine points, nine boards, five blocks, three steals, and just a game-saving block on Dunleavy down the stretch. He was everywhere, uh, flexing on the Bulls, just doing everything you would want. A, a complete steal by Olshay. I can't believe this guy was making the minimum last year. Yeah, he's been, he has been someone. I mean, the Blazers run the majority of their offense for the two guards, mm-hmm. but no one has been more efficient with less than Ed Davis. I mean, if he takes a shot, you have a, you feel pretty good about it going in. And he's now, until teams figure out that once or twice a game, he's going to throw on the surprise one-man Ed Davis press. How many games in a row have we seen a turnover out of that? I think it was twice in a row he's done that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but he's been doing that. I mean, he's been doing that off and on now for the last eight, ten games. He'll just all of a sudden hang back, jump a guy, you know, that's not expecting it, and... Teams just aren't ready for it. He doesn't do it very often. It's just kind of like, oh, hey, here's my here's my chance. He picks picks and chooses his spots really well with that. And I thought it was also great that we don't get to see Plumlee and Davis play together too often because neither is really an offensive threat. 
outside of, of a layup or a putback dunk, but it worked phenomenally against the Bulls. Plumlee, uh, 16 points, 9 rebounds. He went 10 of 13 from the line. I mean, talk about a transition from preseason or, or any of our expectations coming in. All the knock was he couldn't make free throws, and now he's hitting them in the clutch. Yeah, he's definitely shooting them a lot better. He went through a little little stretch in January where he kind of regressed a little bit, but he's back to shooting those pretty well. You know, that that's big because at the end of a game when they go small, someone's got to be in there, whether it's Ed Davis, Plumlee, Myers. Uh, they ran Vonley out there against Golden State. Vonley played small ball center. And Vonley is really the only – well, and Myers. Those are the two guys that can shoot free throws, but typically it's Plumley or Davis in at the end. So they've got to be able to step up and make some free throws because, other, you know, otherwise you, you've got your – hack option up until the last two minutes and those guys they just they don't hit a real high percentage and you look at the box score and if you would have said before the game that portland only hits five threes and only hands out 12 20 assists you're not really thinking that's going to be a victory but they get to the line 27 times and they outscore chicago on the break 19 to 2 it just goes back to show you that this team is winning in ways that you wouldn't have thought preseason, especially with the Terry Stotts team. He had the stereotypical, you know, just three-point shots, not going to take too many chances on defense, but they're kind of flipping the script and adapting, which is nice. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't adapt uh, too well. They lost that big Thursday night game against the, the Rockets, 119-105. to uh, Blazers were up 21 in that game in the third. I was actually watching that game uh, with a few of my coworkers. We were at a team retreat. <laughs> And, you know, I was definitely super, super bummed after that one. Really, I, I was going to rewatch it. I told, told Olga, you know, please, you know, record the game. But after that, I was like, you know, delete that. I don't want to ever see that again. From what I can remember, it seemed like Houston just wanted that game more. To me, it looked like Portland let off the gas. There were a few possessions in the third where Beverly got the ball um, on the second chance and kicked it out to an open three. And that really sparked them. And once they got going, we couldn't do a damn thing about it. Uh, Larry mentioned we, we failed to either double Harden or put uh, Chief on him. And then on offense, I think Portland missed a golden opportunity to exploit Jason Terry being guarded by Gerald Henderson. You know, as, as we watched the game, they moved and put Ariza and Brewer on our backcourt. But there, that opens up other opportunities for other players. And we just did not space the floor, kept trying to run that same weave, and it just... It wasn't Coach Dots' finest game. It wasn't the players' finest game. But looking back, it may have been the best thing possible because Portland was starting to play with fire a bit, losing big leads, and it finally came and bit him in the ass. I I want to know how grumpy you were after the game to your uh, coworkers because uh, not super grumpy. I was just you know sad. Hanging around you after a bad loss like that is a huge bummer. So I can't imagine how your coworkers must have felt when they're not as passionate about sports as me to like show solidarity. So that, that, that I feel sorry for your coworkers. On that. Oh, don't feel sorry for my coworkers. It was nothing. It was just, you know, they lost, you know, you can't really get too overly emotional in front of other people that you aren't super close to or who don't like go to games with you and see how loud you cheer. <laughs> you have to watch games. You have to put your mindset, you know, 
obviously you're upset, but it's not going to ruin your night. So you, uh, you're saying I shouldn't take girls to Blazer games and get overly emotional about the games? I would pass on that one, my friend. <laughs> Word. But, yeah, that, that Rocket game was a... They just thought the game was over when there was still time on the clock, and that's what bit them in the ass. I, I just can't believe they they blew it, but... So I, I, was just, I was just, I mean, I, we all had, I think, some of the same frustrations. And, and like I said, you know, like we've talked about, just some of the lack of adjustments. For for me, it was almost a replay of the Detroit game where Reggie Jackson got ridiculously hot and they wouldn't put Aminu on him. They wouldn't put someone with more length that was quick. They just, my worry about that is I've seen this game a couple of times now. And when the comeback starts... And the other team does something, Portland has yet to make an adjustment to counter that in the flow of the game. And, and I've, that's, that's happened a number of times now to where is, I don't know, is that just not Stoss? Is that just not something he does? Is he just, is it kind of a, hey, my guys, I've got faith in them and they're going to figure it out? Kind of the Phil Jackson approach. I'm not even going to call timeout. Um, I don't know. It just it it seemed like to me as like we're we're trying to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, and that just you know kind of the definition of the insanity thing. At some point, you just have to try something different for change' sake, because like you said, it wasn't working. Uh, Harden's probably averaging like forty plus against us this year, so I'm glad we don't get to see the Rockets play anymore. I just cannot stand watching that guy play always fishing for fouls. Just play the game. Go to the basket trying to score instead of trying to draw a foul. So I'm glad to see that they absolutely got hammered by the Spurs and I believe they, they lost, lost the Bucks. They lost tonight. Bucks you watched it too? So if anything was a fluke, I think that was a fluke loss. Probably good thing to happen to Portland. Woke them up a bit. It's always good when you have a young team that you never want to end a winning streak, but it's always nice to get it over, get it out of your mind, and start a new one because it's hard to keep that same intensity because whether they want to admit it or not, playing with a win streak puts a lot more pressure than just you know winning three straight versus winning like eight or nine straight. Well, and I think there was maybe a little bit of a hangover effect, you know, when you've, you, you've got that game and it's your final one before a long road trip. I think there was a little bit of a hangover effect into that Chicago game. I mean, that was it. That was a bad Chicago team. You know, outside of Pau Gasol, that is a bad Chicago team. And, man, Portland just couldn't put them away the entire game. And they won the game. That's, you know, a road win is a road win. But there was, you look, you look at that roster of who was out and it, it you know, Rose, Marodich, Noah's obviously been out for a while. And then Jimmy Butler. I mean, that's, that's sixty some percent of their offense right there, and Portland couldn't couldn't do anything with them. Hey, they they still won the game, and that's all that matters. But we've seen this before. Portland played Utah without Favors, uh, Exum, Burks, and Gobert, and got smacked. Yep. So I think they've learned from it, and you know, Pau Gasol is an amazing player. They ran him through the high post. He was dropping dimes like mm-hmm. Sabonis and Bill Walton. So when you have a player of his caliber, when Portland, you know, didn't do anything different, if you're going to let Chicago run their offense through Gasol, who is a future Hall of Famer, they're going to get they're going to get points. You know, Portis is a 
you know, a really good rookie. McDermott is showing some skill. But Portland, you know, they, they weren't hot from three. You know, CJ and Dame don't hit a three. CJ goes one of 12. I don't know many other nights in the past the Blazers would win if their second best player goes goes one of 12. But to wrap up the week, uh, the Blazers hung on to a 112-104 victory over the Brooklyn Nets. I was in attendance for this one. It looked like a snoozer. The Blazers were up 19 in the third looking to put them away. And all of a sudden, I have no idea how it happened. The Brooklyn Nets took a three-point lead midway through the fourth quarter, and I was unsure if we were going to win this game. It was just... Brooke Lopez was a man-child. We were not double-teaming him. Thankfully, Donald Sloan throws up a contested corner three, and Thad, Thad Young comes down the next play and pulls up from the elbow. Why Brooke Lopez didn't touch the ball in either possession is beyond me, but but thank you, Brooklyn Nets for, for not giving him the ball because that could have been an atrocious loss this late in the season. That game honestly pissed me off because I, I felt deep in my heart that we should have had our starters out in the fourth, that we shouldn't have let them get that hot. It was basically the reluctance to double or do something different on defense to Brooke Lopez. And it, it, it's starting to become a pattern when, when bigs are dominating other than Boogie, we don't send that double team, or we don't do something different on a, a defensive possession to at least confuse him a little bit, because he's not the best passer in the world. No, I think he has under 100, 100 assists altogether this season, and they played close to 60 games, so barely over an assist per game. They have two and a half good players on that team, or, or two good players now since Joe Johnson's gone and his production's... Uh, given to Bodon Bodanovich, who doesn't shoot three-pointers well, but he's a three-point shooter. But I think it's human nature, even though the Blazers can say all of the right things, when you're coming off of games against Houston and Memphis, and then you smack Golden State, have a hard-fought victory against Utah the next game, and you do build this 19-point lead, it's human nature to let your guard down. And especially for a young team, it's going to happen. It happened all the time to the Drexler Blazers, and it's unthinkable, but... It happens. It's hard to play with intensity for, for 48 minutes. It's something the elite teams know how to do. And, you know, the Blazers aren't there yet, but they're working towards that. But they were able to flip the switch. They dodged a huge bullet and they got 34 apiece from Damon CJ. They went back to back 30 plus in the backcourt for the first time, I think, since the 71 season. Just an unreal stretch that this backcourt has been putting on and you can tell they love playing basketball with one another. Yeah, they've talked they've talked a lot about their friendship, even dating back to college when they were both small college guys following each other, following, you know, picking each other up now. Um, when CJ wasn't getting a lot of time the last couple of years, they were still friends. They they refer back to that quite a bit. Uh, I mean, this is just, this is a close team. You know, they, they practice together, eat out together, movies, video games. They do a lot of stuff together. Um, and it's, I mean, even Cayman, who's not age appropriate with the rest of the group, but, you know, buying them all different Christmas gifts and stuff. This is a tight knit team. And not that you can't trade players, you know, here and there and, and make improvements. They're professionals. They know what happens, but the, 
the core of this group, I think you could bring in a player or two and they're still going to be fine because they just like playing ball there. There's a lot of gym rats here. There's a lot of guys that practice is over and they still hang out and they still play. And that's just a, that's just a character personality thing. That's not something that you can really, a coach can push on you or somebody else and say, Hey, these guys are doing this on their own. And that bodes really well for down the road. Even if, even if they're not playing great, they're winning games now on the road, down the home stretch when, when teams are, you know, you're going to get teams best efforts. Um, even if it's not a great win, you still have to like the direction that this team is going and you're seeing it out of different guys every night. I mean, Mo Harkless was on such a run. He didn't even play last night. Um, but you have, I don't have any doubt that when they play a team that goes small again, he'll be right back in there and, and do well. And I, I think you hammered at home. It is a team that has fun on the court and they have fun off the court. And I, I think those two things, it's no coincidence. It's a reason why a team like the Rockets, they're in such dysfunction. You hear about them all the time in the news for the wrong reasons. Whereas for Portland, players are going over to each other's houses for dinner pregame. Their, their moms are friends. It's really good news. And that's a complete 180 where it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And they do have a core I think you can build around and bring in. So you're only looking for that missing piece, that, that Buck Williams type of player, instead of having to, to try to find you know three or four pieces. Just continue to build this team. The sky's the limit. I don't think they're even anywhere close to their ceiling. And they've still got some work to do. But through 60 games, I, I am completely impressed and I think it all goes back to, to Damian Lillard. Um, I said on the, the last episode that he's going to go down as probably like the biggest all-star snub in NBA history if he keeps this up. Where do you think he is right now in the MVP race? We know Curry has it on lock, but he's got to be at least in the top five, right? You would, you would think so. I, I mean, uh, Davis is starting to put together some really good games. In, down in New Orleans, but he certainly hasn't done that all year long. Man, I, I, there's been some injuries that have taken some guys out. Uh, you know, anyone out? San Antonio is a group effort. You're not going to get an MVP candidate out of there. LeBron will get his vote. Uh, James Harden, I don't. I think they've they've fallen off so much. That even though their record and with Portland, they're within a few games. This is a team that went to Western Conference Finals last year, so I don't think Harden gets near the love he got last year when he thought he should have gotten more. I I don't know how Dame's not in the top five, and and I know I, I saw something today about him being an All NBA selection. They you know wherever that would be probably does he get second team. You know, I would put him on on the second team. If Portland somehow makes the fifth seed, I think you put him up there with Steph Curry because that means he's played unreal to somehow catch Memphis with one of the most difficult schedules in the NBA coming up. Russ and KD are an interesting story. Obviously, both are fantastic players, but they're, what, one and four post-All-Star break. They're that team that ha they're Shaq and Kobe Lakers before Phil Jackson. They just cannot put it together 
So I have a hard time giving that those two too much individual love. I think if you're looking at MVP, obviously Steph, Draymond's got to be up there. You got to look at the East. Kyle Lowry is leading a charge for the Toronto Raptors. He's doing for the Raptors what I think Dame is doing for the Trailblazers. So those are probably my four. And I would throw in Kawhi Leonard just because he's been so fantastic for the Spurs and they're on record setting pace as well. So those would be my Kawhi Leonard shooting forty eight percent from three. That's that's ridiculous. He's a bad boy. I think that if the voters are saying he's a top five, it's all opinion based. So it's whatever the voters want. It's all subjective. It's all subjective. So if they're saying he's a top five, if they're not, which we've seen a lot of crazy kooky stuff in the in the NBA, he's not. And that's how I feel about it. And, and the fact that people, the, the, their super max is based on getting an all-NBA nod because the all-NBA and contracts are somehow put together, I think is ridiculous because that's subjective as well. But I think Dame should be an all-NBA player if people are sane. Well, you usually get all NBA players usually more correct than the All Star by far. I mean, that I, I agree all, with that. All Star is ridiculous that the fans, you know, between LA and China, you knew Kobe's going to get in, and I mean, he didn't deserve it at all. I get the whole farewell tour, great lifetime achievement award, but he was not an All Star. I mean, he's absolutely not, not, not even close. So the All NBA. You know, if there's two guards, I can't see him making first team all NBA. Just Steph's going to make one of those and Chris Paul or Durant, or Chris Paul, Chris Paul or Westbrook's going to get the other one. But I do think he's, I, I don't see how he's not second team. And I know there's a lot of good point guards out there. You know, Kyrie Irving, Kyle John- Lowry. John Wall is playing better. Kyle Lowry, certainly. I mean, Kyle Lowry's got – he hasn't put up the numbers Dame has, but his team's a lot better. So, you know, that that counts as, as well. I, at least third team, strong consideration for second team. There's a ton of good point guards in this league right now, and, and it's fun to watch. You know, and sometimes when your guy gets left out, you're going, what the hell? Well, look who's around. There, there, there's a bunch of Hall of Fame guys that it's not disrespect thing. It's just there's a lot of great players at that position right now. Yeah. It's all subjective. Nope. Yep. And I think Dame can, can really cement himself as a superstar over these, over these last 22 games. But you mentioned a name, Kyrie Irving. He was in the news. A couple days ago for the bed bugs at Oklahoma City, which he attributed to his poor performance uh, that night, even though it didn't matter. The Thunder got absolutely, you know, smashed by the Cavaliers. But then there's a report that came out. I believe it was today that he is unhappy in Cleveland. How how are you unhappy in Cleveland playing with Kevin Love and LeBron James and you're the point guard? The ball's always in your hands. I'm kind of fail. I'm trying to put two and two together, but it's not coming for me very easily. Can one of you guys explain this to me? It's all you, Larry. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know what to do with that. I mean, there's obviously LeBron is is the guy over there and they wanted to bring in Joe Johnson. And I don't know from what I heard, this came out kind of after that. 
that LeBron wanted Joe Johnson pretty bad. And that might have been Kyrie's thing going, what the hell? Another guy that wants the ball. You wanted love. You wanted someone else, either Love or Aldridge, love to come in here. You got him. You shoot the ball a ton. Now you want Joe Johnson. He might be – I don't know. It's it's tough to look at someone like that and not criticize, but at the same – at the same time, I get it a little bit because LeBron has been the de facto GM there for a long time. Mm. And if he keeps saying, you know, no, I want this guy. No, I want to bring in this guy. I want this guy. I want J.R. Smith. I want, you know, all these guys. At some point, if I'm on that team, I do start to want to say, well, hey, am I, what are you questioning about me? Am I not good enough, you know? What What is the deal? I can see where that would come from. I don't know where it's coming from with him. You know, is it a selfish thing? Is it a frustration thing? I don't know, but I, I don't know. It's you know, not. He, he it, had his chance. LeBron sits for rest and they get blown out by uh, 14 points in, in Washington. He and Love had their chance. Irving held up his end of the bargain. He needed to put up 28, but you got Love only going for 12 points. Uh, Kevin Love is another interesting, you know, story. Putting up Moses Malone type of numbers in Minnesota, obviously not winning, goes to Cleveland in what you would think would be a just a dream scenario for him, and, and he's really not even a good player. He's just, to me, he's a run of the mill power forward right now who's not producing like he should, especially for the contract he's given and what they gave up to acquire him. At, at one point, do you say LeBron is this on you? You know, you needed a super team to go to four straight finals in Miami because when he teamed up with Wade, Wade was the second best player in the league and Bosch was a perennial all-star. Then he comes to Cleveland and Irving's an all-star. Love is an all-star. And they routinely keep underachieving in the regular season. Is this a team that is just a veteran team that doesn't give a crap about the, the first 82 and is saving everything for the playoffs? Or are you genuinely, genuinely concerned if you're a Cavs fan right now? I think it's a little bit of both. I think there's a lot of egos on this team, and maybe Kyrie's not getting the uh, the, the the ball enough. I don't I don't know. I don't watch them to have like a informed opinion about it. It's just guessing, but maybe it's there's so many guys that all want the ball. I I, I don't know. It's just a lot of egos in that in that city right now. And then Larry mentioned LeBron wanting Joe Johnson. He actually spurns the Cavs and signs with the Heat, which, again, is a little mind-boggling because I don't think the Heat have a shot in hell at going to the NBA Finals. And he's playing small forward now. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me with the Heat. He moves like a power forward, though. I remember reading something on ESPN that said he might be the small ball four. He just, I think Joe Johnson's done. He moves like... Chris Webber did when he was on the 76ers. It's he's, he's really old. He plays like 35 minutes a game and has two shot blocks the entire year. So I, I don't get the whole Joe Johnson love. He really wasn't producing, but hey. Well, part part of that is is just reputation. Exactly. You know, he, he used to be this guy that could be really good and Every once in a while, once or twice a game, he'll still do something that's like, oh, hey, but he just, he can't do that for very long. Mm-hmm. He can't repeat it. Uh, you know, I, 
I don't I don't see how that helps them either. And they gave up Steve Steve Blake's biggest nightmare in Bino Udri, who is you know he hit the the waiver wire, I guess. I think he's, he's I think out he's out for the year. For the year. Hey, so jinx. Yeah, I I don't know whether I don't know how that helps them or what his deal was for going there, but and Hassan's on the bench. Omari Stoudemire starts for them. I mean, that team is would be awesome in 2010. Oh yeah. But you got like you said Amari uh Luol Deng, Dwayne Wade, Goran Dragic, now Joe Johnson. It feels a whole lot like the Brooklyn Nets when they tried to get KG Paul Pierce yeah. and that Darren Williams and that group. Just too old. I don't see it happening. I'm not sure why. Another familiar name got moved to the San Antonio Spurs, which I'm not sure it makes a whole lot of difference. But does Andre Miller help the Spurs at all? Yes. Just because Popovich is a witch and whoever's on that roster will help the Spurs somehow. That's just, that's just what he does. Miller's a smart player. He's not, he, he has no quickness whatsoever. And yet he's still figured out a way to contribute. And in that offense with those guys, somebody that can pass, somebody that has a high basketball IQ will help them. Yeah. He's only going to play. If, if he gets in 10 minutes a game, I'd be shocked. But he'll pay dividends for them somewhere down the road in a big situation. I can just, that's just, that's the type of move with the type of player that Pop does that uh, I've seen it so many times. I don't think you can doubt it much until, until it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, how good of a cow waiver is he on the bench, too? Cause he, <laughs> the Jack Haley? Yeah, like, I don't know. He, they cut um, that young point guard. Ray McCallum. Ray McCallum. I remember remember the Kings being really high on him at one point in time. Can we we bring him here and have him play backup point guard so when Dame goes out, McCallum and McCollum are in the game at the same time and Rice just gets... Oh, confused. Messed up. But McCallum was a player that we all thought because the Spurs picked him up that he was just going to be some rejuvenated type of player. I don't think Andre Miller has anything left. He does, as much as I love Dre, he doesn't even offer any experience in the postseason. I don't believe he's even been out of the first round his his entire career. I I guess he helps with LaMarcus because LaMarcus likes playing with him. But with Patty Mills and Tony Parker, I'm not sure he sees the floor at all. But, you know, good for him if he does end up getting past the first round. Although, if he plays the Trailblazers, I wouldn't mind a little bit of that first-round jinx kicking in and, you know, Portland upsetting LaMarcus and uh, <laughs> sending him packing back to Texas. Do you think Andre has a chance at being a, a coach? Maybe this is like an internship program for Andre Miller. If he wants to. Boy, he doesn't... He doesn't say much, though, sometimes. He's quiet. He is a very quiet won't say anything for like 60 games and then we'll, you know, have a manifesto and then go back under his shell. I don't, (laughs) I don't know that I don't see him being coaching material, even though he's probably, you know, kind of has played like a coach on the floor his entire career. Hey, I'm just trying to throw, I'm throwing darts at the floor. If I, well, I've I've got a couple darts based on things you guys said, you, um, Dustin earlier, you mentioned, you know, the Blazers, Buck Williams, and this might be for later on in the show, but 
you know, is is Buck Williams out there for this team this summer? I have who I think, but I, I'm interested in who you guys think. Look, here we go. Sage is, is breaking it, is out. Is it free agent, be a free agent or trade? I believe it'd be free agent. Free okay. Uh, I I admit my ignorance to Buck Williams. What was his play style like? He was a yeoman's work, power forward, grabbed rebounds, first team all defense, pretty much Ed Davis on steroids. Okay, he would thank get- you. He well, would get and, alone fits. and so this this may not be that type of player, but a guy who could have that type of effect with this team, just because of their massive unbalance with the front court and the back court. So All you're right. thinking of a big guy, Al Horford? Is who you're thinking of? Al Horford. Do you think he has anything left? Usually, when players hit thirty, I start to worry. Well, Buck Williams was thirty when he came here. Those were back in the days when players could play longer. It, yeah. I think he they, helps they us immensely. play so much basketball early on, whether it's AAU and then they're leaving college early and they're getting more NBA runs. So age is a little bit, uh. Age ain't nothing but a number. Thank you. I, Al Horford, Sage has talked about him quite a bit being more of a pick and pop player. Could, can he still score with his back to the basket? Yeah. He just doesn't like to on Atlanta. I think. That it's an interesting move, except for how much money we're going to have to pay him. And the years are what really frightened me. See, the year, yes, I agree with that. The years. Because you're going to have to give him five years. And max. there's the problem. I wouldn't, I would not give him. I'm a Yankees fan and I've seen this over and over again where they overpay too long for that guy over 30. Exactly. It's the reason I didn't want to re-sign LaMarcus for that big long contract that, that he had. Not that I didn't like him. Thought, hey, he's got a couple of good solid years before he starts going down. But those last three years, you're going to be stuck with a huge contract. That's the problem with with Horford, exactly. So, so the question really is: Are you willing to pay him twenty plus million dollars at age thirty five when his he's not playing up to his contract? If you're willing to do that, he is a viable player. But if you're not, it's time to look somewhere else. I think you still have to wait and see how this season plays out. If Portland, like I said, goes fifth seed, pushes a team on the brink, or hell, even makes it to the second round, then you might look at a guy like Horford and say, yeah, we're really that close to contending. Or if we hang around, you know, the seventh or eighth seed and it's not too competitive a series, then you might see Neil kind of go back to the same, uh, I don't want to say bargain bin, but he'll, he'll find, he'll find the values like the Aminus and Davises and keep building that way through the same age arc. So I think it depends on how we finish, whether, how big of a swing he's going to take in free agency. Could, would you like the idea of Al Horford, Damian Lillard pick and roll? And do you think that, that pushes us up to that next level? Is that a next level move? Like I said, Horford's age scares me, and we get enough of good pick and roll playing with he and Plumlee. You don't get the pick and pop, but you and are you willing to forego Mason Plumlee as a player on this team in order to get Horford? Because you can't think of minutes as currency. We don't give enough. We don't pay enough to Noah Vonley to develop well. Are you really willing to risk his development and trade away Mason Plumlee to get Al Horford for a short term gain? Well, I probably that, wouldn't, but that's just me. I want to hear Larry's take on this. Well, but then no, that's that's back to what Dustin said. It, you know, how big of a move do you want to make this next year? How how close do you think you are? If you think you're pretty close, 
you know, maybe you do make that move. If you think, well, we're still another year away, you, you keep, you know, a year or two, you, you let Vonley continue to continue to develop, uh, because obviously you bring someone else in that is going to cut into his minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's things to like about all four of those front court guys. You're just not getting very much out of any one of them. What about the, I don't know how the Blazers get him, but I brought it up to Dustin via text. What would you think about getting a guy like Derek Favors? He's a younger version of Al Horford that can play under the basket and play defense at a high level. Would you try and trade for him? Because if, if you're looking for that power forward. Yeah, yeah I mean, age-wise, he fits in. Uh, the problem is, what's it going to cost you to get him? What if it was I ba- agree with that, too, because I, you, as much as I would love favors as a third musketeer, as a number three option, I wouldn't move Dame or CJ for him. But he's the type of player I think fits the bill. Not an all-star, but an all-star caliber player and around the 24 to 26 range with just still unlimited upside. But, you know, we could talk free agency missing pieces for days. Let's move on to that Golden State-Oklahoma City game last Saturday. I watched it. I could not believe how it finished. I thought for sure Iggy was going to miss one of those two free throws at the end. He doesn't. Durant fouls out. Curry goes nuclear. Is that a backbreaking defeat? Does that take out all of the air out of the Oklahoma City Thunder? Um, I, no, I don't, I don't think it takes it just because of how Westbrook plays. Westbrook is on full bore attack mode almost all the time. And it, I think that helps your team get back up to have a player like that, even though they, you know, they've lost a couple here. I think they'll bounce back and be fine. What, what blew my mind about that game and, and Steph Curry went, you know, nuts. He, he had what? 26 points with four minutes to go in in the fourth and ended up with 46 or something like that with the overtime. He went crazy. Do you know what the rebounding numbers for that game were? No. Oklahoma City out-rebounded Golden State in that game 62-32 to and lost. That's why I think it might have an effect on that Thunder team. They feel like they've let two slip away. They played them tougher than anybody that I've seen this year at Oracle. By all intents and purposes, they had this game signed, sealed, and delivered, let it out of their grasp. They will get another shot at Oracle on Thursday. If they lose that one again, I think it starts creeping doubt into the minds of the Thunder players because they know they can play with them, but at some point, you have to come away with a victory. And Steph Curry is just an alien. He's not real. When you see him pull up from 32, you're watching, you know what's going in. That's when you know you're watching the greatest shooter to ever pick up a basketball. What about with OKC? Monty is out because of his issues, and Mo Cheeks is also out. So they really don't have that deep of a coaching staff. Do you think that also is affecting their play, not having enough coaches to help them run practice? Because I think they only have three on the bench right now with Monty and Mo Cheeks out. I mean, I think it's an option or at least an excuse for them to point at. But when you've got Durant, who's been in the league since 07, Russell's been in the league since 08, Abaka, I think 08 or 09, 
that trio has been together quite some time. They should know what to do for a regular season. When, when's preparation? What practices? You know, so on and so on. Just the details. They should have that in their sleep. They should be able to do that whenever. I think, like I mentioned on the podcast last week, there's something going on in that locker room that's not being reported on. I felt like the, something similar was happening for the Trailblazers last year, and, and it was LaMarcus. This team should be much better. The, the Russell and Katie are too damn good for this team to be underachieving and losing to teams like the Pacers at home. Yeah, I mean, they, they won tonight. Um, got Enos Cantor went nuts. Um, I, you know, I don't know. They, they've got some of the same. To me, they, they remind me a little bit, you know, a Bach is better than anyone Portland has up front, but they're very much a two person team with Durant and Westbrook. Although Westbrook, Westbrook only took eight shots tonight. Um, he had a triple double 20, 15, and 13, but he Jesus. really. He didn't, he only took eight shots. So that's a very restrained Russell Westbrook, but they're usually two guys. You get nothing out of Roberson most nights. You don't get much out of Adams. You, Adams, you get some defense and some points out of Ibaka. And then off the bench, you know, what do they, you know, that is something that is, that the Blazers have really, has really become a strength for them. You look, look at OKC's bench. Uh, Enos Cantor, I mean, he went nuts tonight, but most nights he doesn't do that and he plays no defense. Kyle Singler, Nothing. eh. Dion Waiters, double eh. Randy Foy, Nick Collison. Collison will get, you know, battle and stuff, but he's getting older. Yeah, I think he's past his prime as well. You don't, there's not much of a bench there. It is really Westbrook, Durant, some abaka and then whatever they can piece together everywhere else they're just not that deep of a team and i think over time when you expect so much out of durant and westbrook i think it probably just wears on them a little bit and the fact that every year in the playoffs the last what four years in a row it seems like they get there they're playing well and then someone gets hurt Mm -hmm. and like a big injury and they're screwed and that's what can happen when you put too much stress on on players and you're playing them too many minutes, you're expecting too much out of them, and you don't have a bench. Portland tried to do that in 2013-2014. They got away with it. The next year, they got we got hammered with injuries last year, and everyone was expecting it because you just don't go through seasons injury-free like that. So Sam Presti gets a lot of credit for taking Durant and Westbrook, but... I think he's really, really dropped the ball on a couple of occasions. He should have looked to upgrade that shooting guard position. I don't think Randy Foy does it for me. Like you said, they're getting, you can play four and five with, with Roberson out there and waiters. You pray that dude shoots the basketball. Oh yeah. I always thought that Amo, Anthony Morrow was going to be a good addition to that team, but they're just unwilling to use him. It's not like his defense is any worse than waiters. And at least you know definitively, hey, he can shoot. But whatever. So real quick before we go on to the next week's slate of games, as it stands, Portland is tied for sixth right now. Real quick, who would you rather play, Spurs or Thunder in the first round? Thunder. Thunder. I think Spurs just for the LaMarcus factor. I'd love to upset him. Oh, I would love to upset him, but... I just don't see that happening. <laughs> I, 
I mean, it, Portland fan would love, Portland fan would be the only people in the entire league that thought they had a chance of upsetting the Spurs. Nobody um, thought we'd be in the playoffs right now either. I'm just saying. I, I know. I, I Listen, I, I get all that. But there's – remember the last time we ran into Spurs and we had a lot that more That was Spurs experience. two years ago, though. Duncan and Ginobili and Parker have aged, I think, significantly, significantly over those two years. And if I'm a Spurs fan, do not expect LaMarcus to do anything in the playoffs because it's just not going to happen. Well, that that might be true. But, you know, Kawhi Leonard is even better. He is a beast. Uh, but, you know, my train just, of thought is I would rather take my chances against Kawhi than have to deal with Durant and Westbrook for seven games. I know the Spurs are a better team. It's just see, Durant my, and Westbrook can just take it over. Durant, Westbrook, Portland has no answer for Westbrook anywhere. But Durant, Aminu at least can not slow him down maybe, but Aminu matches up with him as maybe as well as anyone. I mean, look what he did to Paul George last night. Well, both times he's played him this year. Um, if Stotts will put him on him, sometimes he might choose not to, but you would think that that's who he's going to guard. Then it's, then it's Westbrook. Then it's like, okay, if Westbrook gets 40, like he does against Portland a lot of times, can the Blazers withstand that? And their bench make up part of that and, and get a win. I think they match up pretty better against them. San Antonio, just their team defense is so good. Pop is so smart. Seven games, all, you know, all the perimeter stuff that Portland does. I can't see Pop not having something that just makes Plumley. Vonley and Aminu win the game for you, which they're not going to do. And if it went more than five, I'd probably be surprised. I'd I'd love to upset them, but I, it's just a gut feeling. I think the Spurs might stumble this year before they get to that, that matchup with, with the Warriors. Don't know why. Just, just kind of a, a gut feeling. So we have a sponsor this week. Nice. Yeah, man. Because I work in radio and I have no fear of being told no for sure. Absolutely no fear. So, Candy Club is a company that sends premium, delicious candy to your door every month. And if you use our code, Mardi Gras 20, but if you get, <laughs> if you use the code Mardi Gras 20, all one word, you get $20 off your first order of Candy Club candy. I got, this order here, they match the candy to your taste, and there's many different options of candy that you can get. I might even be nice and buy Dustin some candy, because he complained about it last time we did our spot. So, Candy Club, Mardi Gras 20, get yourself $20 off your first order of candy. Nice. Stuff to my taste, so I can go on there and get my salted caramel. That's what you're telling me. Yeah, man. Present the candy well and nice plastic containers and you get all sorts of candy you get three three little baskets and then you get some pocket candies it's really cool i enjoy this because i have a bit of a sweet tooth so sage you sound like a little kid who gets to go visit grandma's house and is so stoked to grab those werther's originals out of her 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 candy dish well i loved werther's originals (laughs) so hey i'm just trying to sell the product you know i'm just giving you a hard time (laughs) But it will be, a, it could be a hard time 
for the Trailblazers this week. They conclude their six-game road trip with four more road games. They have the Knicks on Tuesday at 4.30, followed by a back-to-back the next night in Boston at 4.30, Friday against the Red Hot Raptors in Toronto at 4.30, and then they conclude the trip in the Motor City against the Pistons on Sunday at 3. We've mentioned that the Blazers got two, which is very important, and as Larry mentioned, 3-3 three and three road trip. You tell us that before the trip, you take that and you run. Mm-hmm. They started with the Knicks. The Knicks are just 25 and 36. They're 3 and 14 in their last 17 games. Of those four teams, this is a must win for the Trailblazers. Agreed? Uh, Very much so. Absolutely. You cannot lose that game and then go to Boston the next night where Boston is playing really well. Avery Bradley will play as good a defense on Dame as any other single defender probably will play on him. The rest of the year, um, you know, now sometimes Boston's winning games and I'm wondering how they're doing it exactly because you look at their roster and you're like, well, OK, but they're they are. So they're winning games, but I don't see Portland going back to back and winning that one. So if you lose to the Knicks, the road trip could get tough in a hurry. So I think they have to win that game and they should win that game. They should win, and I think they just have to be focused. And they also need to remember that the Knicks beat them in Portland on December 12th, 112-110. While Aminu does a fantastic job on Paul George, Carmelo Anthony lit him up for 37. Uh, the bench was a huge factor, 46-32 uh, to 32 in favor of the Knicks in that game. Uh, thankfully, Aaron Aflalo is questionable. He is probably their third best player. So... It's a team that's struggling. They fired their head coach. You know Dame is going to be ready to play in Madison Square Garden. No matter how bad the Knicks are, you put up big numbers at MSG, the world is going to know. And it's Jose Calderon that's the starting point guard. Well, yeah, you've got, Dustin, you bring up a good point. One, it's it's Madison Square Garden in a year that he got snubbed for the All-Star break, and the Knicks beat Portland in Portland. So there should... They should not want for motivation this game. Um, they they had a day off of rest. They're in New York already. You, you have to go get this going. And I know, you know, going in, you would say, well, three games in a row to start the road trip, no way. But now that you've got the first two, you've got to have this one because the next two after that are going to be really tough. And then you get the Pistons who, you know, depending on the night, can be really good, and Portland's, Portland doesn't have an answer for Drummond. Absolutely not. Um, what I've noticed when I've watched the Knicks play is that Porzingis doesn't get clutch minutes. It's Lance Thomas. It's And Lance Thomas's game is Dante Cunningham-esque. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Lance, Lance Thomas, Portland's own summer league Lance Thomas? Yeah. And if you remember correctly, I believe Porzingis put up... Uh, a goose egg in Portland during that first game, which made that loss even more uh, mind-boggling. So how would you guys guard Carmelo Anthony, knowing that the Knicks get 23% of their offense from the mid-range? That's number one. And over 45% of their offense off of unassisted baskets. That's sixth most in the NBA. Obviously, they run a lot of ISO sets for Melo. They don't pass the ball a whole lot. They don't really have a lot of shooters. Would you send doubles from different ways to get him off of his game if Chief can't do it early on? 
whenever I watch Chief in New Orleans, he locked down Carmelo Anthony. So I want to give him his chance to make up for his bad game against Melo. If that doesn't work, we have to be flexible and send different looks at Melo to get him off his game. Melo has been having a really good season this year, surprisingly. Getting rebounds, running, like he's playing really well. So stopping him is imperative. If Porzingis actually gets the minutes he deserves, that's something we could worry about. But every time I see him in clutch moments, it's Lance Thomas and Robin Lopez. That doesn't scare me. The only person that really scares me is Carmelo Anthony. And I have to pee really bad, so you two. <laughs> that's why I wrapped it up so well. Edit that. Never. I think Chief will do better on Carmelo this time. You know, he he'll remember. You know, he doesn't say much, but he'll remember. But if they play Porzingis and Carmelo at the same time, you know, that's that causes prop you know problems for Portland. Do you go? Mean it's a Mo Harkless game then. Well, it, it, yes, a Mo Harkless. Do you go almost completely unconventional? And the, the reason Carmelo causes more problems for Aminu is because he's so much stronger. Aminu is good on long, lanky Durant, George, those type of guys, athletic guys, but they're not super strong. Carmelo's a bull, and he creates space with his body. He can shoot. He can dribble. Man, if you give him one more year, and I put I put Von Ley on him, who does much better on the perimeter defensively than he does on the block, and then put Aminu over on Porzingis, who's more that long, lanky, finesse-type scorer, I know that's just way outside the box. I don't think we'll see it, but I might try that if they're going nuts. What are either of your X factors for the, for this game? Carmelo, uh, defense on Carmelo is probably the biggest X factor. Yeah, yeah. I think Portland has to keep the Knicks off the offensive glass, limit their second chance points. The Knicks get almost 14 second chance points, that's seven. Uh, and the Blazers do a pretty good job of grabbing 34 defensive rebounds per game, that's eight. If they're going to be in isolation a lot, that means you have to limit them to just one shot and really rebound. And, and push the tempo on this, on this Knicks team. It's an older team. Also look at fast break points. Can Portland maybe force a couple turnovers or rebound and then outlet and go? We're a younger team. We've got more athletes. Uh, that's my X factor. I think Portland starts this road trip three and zero. Uh, you guys see win as well? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to. So yes. <laughs> and. Portland will play uh, the second night of a back-to-back against, uh, I said the Red Hot Raptors. They are red hot, but so are the Boston Celtics. They are third in the Eastern Conference, 36-25 and 25 overall. They have won 11 straight at home, and they've kind of got a team, uh, maybe of a bunch of uh, no-names, but they play well together, and they wreak havoc. You mentioned Avery Bradley. They've got also Marcus Smart. They've got Isaiah Thomas, who is a, a just a jitterbug on offense. Jared Solinger, Jay Crowder, Evan Turner. They've just got a, a bevy of players that can beat you. Amir Johnson as well. Just not a superstar, but they've got a good, solid team who play well at home, and they play with a pace. They're 98.8. That's third in the league. They're averaging over 106 per night, which is fourth most. I think the, this is a game the Blazers can win but they must take care of the basketball because the Celtics, they, they're Hawks. Mm-hmm. 
nine over over nine steals a game. That's second most. They average 18.8 points off of turnovers. That's third most. They force the most turnovers in the league at 17. And when they force those turnovers, they get out on the break and run at 16 a night, which is sixth most in the league. This it could be a game where Portland's on the second night of a back-to-back. It could get ugly if they don't really watch their passes. And I've noticed during this road trip, they can get lazy with them. So they should be very cautious about getting into a track meet with the Boston Celtics. I should have worn my uh, voice up more so I could talk in a Boston accent. Uh, I, I really enjoy watching this team. They got a great group of guards that play defense really well. Avery Bradley, uh, Jay Crowder, Marcus Smart. He's really good. He's wickedly good on defense. I used to be good at accents. And I, I haven't practiced, but... They have a they have a really fun team. I think this will be a very enjoyable game. I think the biggest thing I want to look at is if Dame can score on Avery Bradley. Because if he if he can be efficient, that that opens up so many lanes. Because that that defense is locked down. And I I think if they're going to pay that much attention to Damian Lillard with Avery Bradley. I think it might open it up for the other other players on this team where Mason Plumley can do some damage on the pick and roll or you've got Myers Leonard coming in and maybe having a, a big night. Henderson could be a big factor. I think bench scoring will be huge in this game because you said their guards, they have four guards that average over a, a steal per game. They play good defense. They're going to be locked and loaded on, on Dame. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be tough for him to, I think, crack the 30-point barrier again. If he can, one, that just shows how amazing he's been playing. But two, maybe he is more of a decoy this game. So do you think it's a CJ McCollum game? God, I you wish know, I could do the Boston accent. Well, you know, last time I said it was going to be a CJ game, it was Chicago. And he goes uh, one for 12. So I'm a little gun shy on that. But <laughs> I think whoever is on Isaiah Thomas has to make them pay. Just make has them work. To feast. Yeah. Exactly. Just like with Steph Curry, you know, they could put Clay Thompson on Dame, but that means CJ's got to go at Curry. And that also takes a little bit out of Isaiah Thomas on offense because you have got to keep that dude mm-hmm. not only off the foul line, but out of the paint. Yeah, they, they just have the most random assortment of players playing really well. Like, Which, Well, and p- part of that is the, you know, we all like to think that um, Terry Stotts is coach of the year, but... A coach that's getting somebody, a bunch of guys that you've never heard of to play well with a better record than the Blazers is Brad Stevens. Yeah, they also play in the Eastern Conference, though. Which is, a, which is an improved conference. Actually, Dustin and I have argued this point, and I'm really happy you said Brad Stevens. I, I would give it to, to Dwayne Casey over, over Brad Stevens, but that's, that's here nor there. I, I'm, maybe, maybe the Celtics can make me a believer. Portland plays them twice in March. I, I think Portland's gonna, beat them pretty handily in Portland. It'll be tough for them to do it in and Boston. And I promise to work on my Boston accent. Yeah. But what's, what's your X factor, Sage? I, I think it's Damien being able to score on Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart. I think it's it's all about points in the paint. It's getting to the foul line. Boston, they do a pretty good job of, of guarding the paint. They, they get, only give about 42, which is 13th run of, run of the mill. But they foul the shit out of you, and they will send you to the line. Teams get over 27 attempts at, at the charity stripe. That's the most in the NBA. Uh, I mentioned Dame's getting over eight attempts at, at the foul line. If we can live at the line just like we did in Chicago, you slow the game down a bit, you ugly it up. Portland could escape with a victory here. Do either of you see that happening? 
I definitely see it as a possibility. I, I want to see how many times Jared Sullinger gets out of position and ends up hacking one of our players. Yeah, I see it as a Blazers win. I'm pissing off a lot of my Boston relatives, but that's fine. I'm probably pissing them off with my fake Boston accent. I was going to say, of the two things they're offended by, it's the accent. more. Than- <laughs> I, I think, for me, the key to this actually goes back to the night before. If the Blazers can get a good contribution from their bench against the Knicks, keep some of the starters' minutes down, um, you know, maybe maybe keep them off. I, I don't think you're going to get a blowout in New York. But if you can keep Dame from having to play, you know, over 35, CJ playing over 35, so they've got something. Because a New York-Boston back-to-back is not – I mean, that, what is that, a 45-minute flight? Mm-hmm. That's not a bad, that's not a back to back like teams on the West Coast are used to. So if you can keep their minutes down, get good bench production the night before, that'll go a long way towards them having a chance to win against the Celtics. If the Blazers get stuck in a nail biter where, you know, a clutch pressure game where Dame's got to play a lot of minutes down the stretch, I don't think that, I don't think they win a back to back in Boston and I don't, that, that would take them four and oh on a road trip to start, which is almost too much to ask for. It is too much to ask for, but, but damn it, I'm asking for it, Blazers. <laughs> I, I've got them winning. They are finding different ways to win in, in different nights. Boston is a good team, but Dame. He, he is our leader. He's our superstar. He can kickstart it and somebody else can take it. I think our bench is going to have a big night. Feels like a big Hendo night to me. Uh, I really like our chances to go 4-0. And then you're looking at the Raptors and the, the Pistons. You split one of those complete gravy. You're looking at maybe a 5-1 and trip. But let's talk about the Raptors, arguably the hottest team in the Eastern Conference right now. 39-19, uh, and 21-6 at home. 18 and 4 in their last 22. The only reason they lost to Detroit is because they rested uh, Kyle Lowry after he had a field day against the Cleveland Cavaliers over the weekend. Um, if we remember correctly, it was the Raptors who went into the Rose Garden and won 110 to 103 on the 4th of February. That was the night where we had no answer for Lowry and DeRozan. They had 59, while Damon CJ had 46. It was a very inefficient 16 of 38 shooting. That's what this game is going to come down to. Arguably the second and third best backcourts in the entire NBA, however you want to rank them going at each other, whichever backcourt plays better, I think gets the win. I've got this one as a loss. The Knicks, I think they win. Celtics is a toss-up for me. This one's a loss, and the reason why is the backcourt. Dame and CJ are one of the better young backcourts in the league. I'm not sure they're ahead of this one. And the reason why is because DeRozan and Lowry are better on the defensive side of the ball, and that's half the game. Dame and CJ are better on the offensive side, but not by enough to counteract how much better they are on defense. And where you've got the two, you know, that's both teams' strengths, except they got this guy in the middle, Valanchunas, that Portland can do nothing with. He hurt his ribs. Is he is, but he's, is he going to play by he's then? He's going to play, but his ribs are hurt. I, remember, I always I always feel like he's a player that they don't play enough. They don't utilize him enough. No, no, they do not. A- absolutely, did they do not? But when they do, he makes good things happen. Yeah, I remember in that game earlier in the season, 
Portland went small and it, and it really bit us in the ass. So I hopefully we don't go small. And it was the Lowry pick and roll, which again was impossible to stop. They also ran DeRozan off the curl. We're going to have to find a different way to guard him because that's his bread and butter. The only time we remotely made things uncomfortable for them was when we were down, I think, five points and we forced them to call timeout by finally trapping him at, at midcourt. This is going to be a game where Stotts needs to, you know, flip the defense a bit and show him a different look than, than what happened, you know, a month ago in Portland. That L is very clear in my mind. And I think Terry has improved a lot as a coach, but I think he reverts back to his isolation defense. Because that's what I saw last time. So I, I, I think Toronto is going to win. I think that uh, if Jonas's rib is healthy, that's going to be a huge factor. If not, we have to deal with Bismack Biombo's like four points, but five blocks and ten rebounds. I, I think Bonley will have a big game because I don't think Patrick Patterson or Luis Svola is that much of a defender. So power forward is the X factor. What ha- what's the X factor for me is the three-point shooting. Last game, Portland allowed Toronto to shoot 12 of 19 from deep. Lowry was 7 for 10. If you let them get anywhere near that, that's a guaranteed loss. Portland does shoot the, the three very well, 36%, which is sixth best in the league. They've averaged over 10 threes in their last 17 wins. In Toronto, they will let you shoot from downtown. They actually allow over 37%, which is fourth most. So it, it could be a game where Portland gets hot and, and they ride that hot three-point shooting to a victory. Both of you are predicting loss, which makes me think it's going to be a win. You're zigging while we're zagging. I, I like here, the hustle. But, here goes, but, here goes but, Dustin with his weekly 4-0 prediction. That's Every, why I win. That's why that, I win. That would require us being 5-0 on this road trip, and even the most optimistic Blazer fan knows we are not going undefeated on this trip. So the Raptors have won 10 straight that? games at home. They are a difficult team to beat at the Air Canada Center. It's going to be a close game, but if I'm going to have to find a loss, because you have to find a loss somewhere on this road trip, it's going to be the Raptors. They're, they're fantastic. I would love to play them again in Portland. I think there might be a different result. But in Toronto, I'm going to go Raptors, unfortunately, on this one. We'll see them in the finals. Hey, I would love that. But <laughs> rounding out this monster six-game roadie is a, a visit to the Motor City to take on the Detroit Pistons, who are 31-29, and but 4-0 since adding Sage's man crush to Bias Harris. Um, thankfully, this will be a back-to-back for the Pistons. They will be in New York the night before. And... We bring this up probably every other podcast. The game on November 8th, which the Pistons came back and beat Portland 120-103. to uh, Reggie Jackson had a career-high 40. Drummond went Wilt Chamberlain on everybody, had 29-27. and 27. Portland led by 18 in the third quarter, only to be outscored 41-11 to 11 over the final 12 minutes. One of the most heartbreaking losses of the entire season. Can Portland do anything to stop Andre Drummond? I know they have such success against Marcus Gasol and DeMarcus Cousins, even DeAndre Jordan. What makes it so difficult for Portland to to handle this guy? Did Myers get a lot of minutes that game? Yeah, he start. That was back when he was starting. He oh, actually had God. seventeen that night. Yeah, but he was starting at power forward. Yeah, I think we might want to see what he can do against him just to piss him off a little bit. 
Well, the the difference between him and Gasol is he is so much stronger and more athletic than Gasol is. I mean, they're not even that they're not even the same ballpark with that. Um, Gasol's a more well-rounded player, but Drummond is an athletic freak of nature. He is so big, he is so strong. Um, they just they just don't have anyone to match up with him. So that's just even if he's a load to handle anyhow and then portland they're just they're just lacking in that area you know plumley doesn't have much of a wingspan or the he mass just, yeah or the mass you know he gives up gives up the weight myers you might know, have the mass myers might have the best shot on him uh so we'll see how that goes they just they just don't have anyone to match up with him now the rest of the team i think they're they're okay with and i don't see reggie jackson doing what he did my Goodness, he just well, we need to do something like that pick and roll defense because he was riding the the screener all the way down the paint, kind of backing him in because everyone was so afraid of the lob that once it was too late, he just had a free layup. So Portland has to either trap him, get the ball out of his hands, have the big hedge more and have some rotating rotating defense to help with Drummond because we could not see that again. That's all it was for 12 minutes uh, in that fourth quarter. And he was just too easy. And once you get a couple of those, then you start making tough contested jumpers because you're feeling good. You're in a rhythm. Every shot you take, you feel like is going to go in. That's going to be key for me is can Portland keep Drummond off the boards? He leads the NBA in rebounding at 15, number one in offensive rebounding's, uh, rebounds, five per game. And we're not the best defense at the pick and roll. So and Reggie Jackson's playing well. He was a borderline all-star. I believe he's averaging over 20 points per game for the season. A uh, very good player. We all saw that when he was a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder. But Larry's right. We cannot let him co off for 40 again. Oddly enough, I think you could let Drummond go 29 and 27 and still get a victory. But you cannot let another member of their team have a monster night. Well, I mean, it's 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 like the Houston game. Make someone else be, you know, if Trevor Ariza goes off for 40 and beats you, more power to him. Because you know James Harden can do that. So you got to take that away. Same thing here. You know, if, if Drummond's going to get his, you know, you can foul him and put him at the line, especially in a close game. You can't let Reggie do what he did. If if whoever their small forward is, some Stanley I, Johnson, yeah, he's out. Or he's oh, yeah. questionable with the shoulder. It's Casey. It's KCP. Marcus Morris. Tobias is at the four. All right. So if one of those other guys now, Tobias Harris, Marcus Morris. I mean, those guys could hurt the Blazers, but I, I would still make someone else do that. Contavious, Caldwell, Pope, wh- whoever else is playing, I'd make someone else do that before I let Reggie Jackson just run free on his pick and roll and and guard against the lob. You, you, Someone's got to rotate over so that someone else can step up and you make that guy kick the ball out. And if someone who's scoring 12 points a game beats you, well, good. You made him do it with their third option. Is this a hack of Drummond possibility? The dude shooting thirty five point nine percent. Oh yeah, it's always it's always on the table. It has to be always on the. It table. has to be, but the game's got to be close. It can't be forty one to eleven. The game wasn't close. It didn't. You know, you couldn't. I'm do talking it. about even doing it in like the second quarter with like four minutes to go. Both teams are in the penalty, and you're just trying to throw him off a rhythm. Maybe get into his head, saying, "Hey, you want to play this freak of nature? Go ahead." But we're going to make him do something that he is supremely uncomfortable at doing. Well, if you're going to do that, plan about it ahead of time and and activate Cliff Alexander and put someone else on the bench and, you know, and Cayman and use your big guys and 
Um, just, just go with that. I mean, that's fine. Throw some guys in there that are going to use up some fouls. So you're not, so that's not costing you fouls on, on Plumley and, and Davis and those guys. Cause Davis, Davis Plumley, I mean, they can't guard him one on one. They're just not going to be Ed Davis is 200 and what, 40 pounds. But do you, wouldn't you mind him trying to do some post moves one on one? It kind of reminds me of Dwight Howard. Yeah. He might hit a, a jump hook once in a while but he's not going to dream shake you in the post. I think what you have to do is worry about him on the lob and on the offensive glass because that's when he's racking up those points. If he wants to go one-on-one and he's maybe shooting a fadeaway or I guess it depends on the level of difficulty he's having shooting that hook shot, but make him show that he can do that first. No, absolutely. He's not entirely proficient at that. He's great at finishing above the rim. But just in a low post one on one, that's not, he's still not great at that yet. Um, but obviously if he starts getting in a rhythm, put him on the line because you know he's not good there. Exactly. And oddly enough, it seems like when teams do foul the Pistons more often, that's when they win. In wins, they average about 29 free throws a game and losses. It's, it's down to about 22.3. So I found that stat pretty interesting, especially considering we're talking about the hack of Drummond. But Sage, what is your X factor for the final game of this road trip? Question, Mr. Statman. I don't know if you have this off top, but earlier in the season, Reggie Jackson's stats were really split on wins he'd play well, on losses he was awful. Is that still a thing? In, in wins, 22.4 points, 6.7 assists, shoots about 50% from the field. In losses, it's down to 16 points, 5.5 assists, and 39% from the field. So his percentages go down by 10% from the field and less than six and about six points per game. So Reggie Jackson could very well be that X factor that you're talking about. I think it's, I, I think it's my boo Tobias Harris because he's playing humongous minutes and putting up some really nice stats. So I think, of course we have to focus on Drummond, but that's the guy that can hurt you on that offense. Marcus is fine. KCP is a great defender, but not offensively proficient. So it's all about Tobias Harris as the as the release valve for Dre and Reggie Jackson. Do so you have win? Loss? I think they make up from their loss against Toronto, and it's a win. Okay. What about you, Larry? I have them going 2-2 two and two in the next four games, wherever they get that. So one against the Knicks, and then they win one of those final three. And it might be that Pistons game. The problem is if they've lost two in a row coming into that, it, it it's how bad do you want it? The sixth game on a six-game road trip is a tough game to get up for to win when you know you're going home right after that. It's one of the toughest games to play is that final one. So that's kind of a want-to game. I think they can win it. Um, I think they're the better team. Obviously, there's some places where they've got some mismatches, but... Uh, two and two, so yeah, because I don't, I don't think they win Toronto, and I don't think they beat Boston on second of a back to back. So yes, I guess I've got that as a win. Yeah, it's definitely a want game for the Trailblazers and the Pistons. They wanted it more in that last matchup. They outscored Portland twenty-seven to eight second chance points. That's my X factor. Portland cannot have that big of a disparity on the second chance, especially when that's how they've won so many games of late, just out hustling, out working their opponents. We saw against Houston, the Rockets wanted it more. They got more offensive opportunities. Portland needs to really hone in on second chance points. And I think not having to play on the second night of a back-to-back, whereas Detroit does, Portland does get that. Thankfully, they get that day of rest before that final game. 
and they're getting some results too. You saw Utah's lost a couple, Houston's lost a couple, Memphis is struggling a bit. If, if they, only, what's what's their game when they come back home? Is that Golden State? No, they have um, the Washington Wizards at Golden State and then at home against the Magics. Okay, so they go right back out on the road against Golden State. Um, that, well, that, that's good because if Golden State was the next game, I can see them looking ahead. Yeah, I, th- I, I, th- I think they can win that game. Yeah, I'm going to go win. I don't call me crazy. Five and one road trip. This team continues to, to prove everyone wrong. And I would be thrilled with four and two road trip. Be happy with three and three. But you know, you pick up the first two. You're, you're, you have a chance of getting the third against the Knicks. You would like to take at least one or two of, the, of those next three, even though it is against three of the hottest teams right now in the East. Yeah, but I, I think three and three is disappointing after two and zero start. If that it, going into it, if you get three and three, you're happy. Now, if you get three and three, I think you're disappointed. But but thankfully, even if you do get three and three, the Jazz have dropped a few in a row. The Rockets are dropping a few in a row. Dallas isn't playing supremely tough. So even if you do escape three and three, I don't think you're you're too down. You're you're disappointed, especially that would probably meaning losing three straight games. Nobody wants to do that. But I think four and two is a minimum. I've got them going five and one. I would be absolutely floored if that happened. But, uh, you know, we've been talking for about an hour and a half. We could go all night. We love Blazers basketball. Any, any final words, guys? Uh, this, this is obviously this has been a great run. You expect, I mean, it's going to slow down here at some point just because of the road games and some of who they play. I mean, this road trip is longer, but the next one is, is the tough one. I mean, they get San Antonio, they get, they've Dallas. got Golden State on the road. They got a home and home with Dallas. Um, they got, they got some tough Western road games coming up. Uh, but man, you, Obviously, you can't count this team out for anything the way that they've been playing lately. And, and Dame is, Dame is showing himself to be a great leader. So this is a fun, this is a fun run. And, and, and I'm happy with where they're at. Early in the season, I was a, hey, if they're going to play like this, take the draft pick and run. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not playing like that anymore. So I hope they keep this up. I don't know how, the, you know, the playoffs will go because, you know, Golden State, San Antonio in the playoffs is a different thing, but, this has been they are getting growth out of this team and that's what you wanted to see this year they're developing guys crabs developed vonley's developing a little bit myers maybe hasn't done as much as we had a like but but there's there's guys that are contributing that are going to be in a blazer uniform you would figure down the road for a number of years and that's a good thing real quick as of february 29th 2016 what playoff seed do you see the blazers ending up with memphis has an incredibly difficult end of season like yeah, they they're still in the midst of their little post all-star sisters of the poor but that turns around here finally after a while yeah they had a real easy 10 first games after that break the last 17 unbelievably hard um i said real quick sage I'm trying not to sound stupid. Uh, I'm going to say six lead. I'm going to go six. I, I think their their schedule gets really hard, but more difficult, even more difficult, too. I don't know that, they, you know, Gasol's out. Who knows? If they could get to number five, I would love that because I like them matching up with the Clippers. Just to be different, I was going to say six, but let's go fifth. Sage is right. I did the math. 
Memphis's schedule down the stretch is incredibly difficult. And if Portland can just stay afloat after this road trip and the road trip, Larry mentioned our schedule really lightens up. It's pretty home heavy. And who knows? Dallas isn't playing well. If Memphis, all we need is Memphis just to, just to drop, which they could do losing so many players. But I think about, I think that about wraps it up for this edition of the Holy Backboard podcast. If you have any questions or would like to contact us via email, you can do so at holybackboardpdx at gmail.com. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and you can also find it on Stitcher and SoundCloud. At Five Holy stars. PDX. Five stars, like my man said. If you love what you're hearing, you know, give us give us some props. And we're also on Twitter, at Holy Backboard. And as my man Sage said, Go to Candy Club, enter the code Mardi Gras 20, get $20 off your first order, tell them Holy Backboard sent you, and enjoy a sweet tooth as we, you know, hit the stretch run of this Trailblazer season. So that about wraps it up. Let's go, Rip City.